Thanks, Pierce. Good morning, everybody. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here at Providence, and it is uh, so great to be with you guys. I look forward to worshiping with you every time we are able to get together uh, because, you know, we just we prayed this, uh, God, bring your kingdom on earth. And when we worship together, it's happening. Like we get to experience the kingdom of God on earth, and it kind of gives us a sense of like, what is it going to be like when, when Jesus returns? What is it going to be like when God's kingdom is just fully reigning on, on earth and, and when we uh, live in heaven together? I look forward to that. I also look forward to this, this place in heaven that I am fairly certain exists. Um, it's this section of heaven for parents who have coached uh, youth sports. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a glorious place. Some of you have, have dreamt about it too, I can tell. It's this place where it's like finely kept grass, you know, and everything's perfect there, but it's quiet. It's kind of like, it's like peaceful, you know, and no... No kids losing their mind at the end of a day of school on the practice field, you know. No parents yelling at their kids or the coach or each other. None, none of that. No, no, like, referees who are making inexplicable calls on the field. None of that's happening in this section of heaven. It's, it's beautiful. I can't wait for that, for that. I can wait, but it's going to be great. <laughs> Many of you who know me would say, Mark, you're a, you're a pretty patient person. People have said, I'm even keel, mild-mannered, they would say that about me as well, and all those things are generally pretty true, but some of you have seen me coaching like seven-year-old soccer, and those of you who have seen me coaching seven-year-old soccer, all I can say to you this morning is, I am sorry, (laughs) deeply, deeply sorry that you had to see that side of me that I didn't even know existed until I coached seven-year-old soccer. (laughs) It's in there somewhere. A few years back, before I retired from coaching, and I just, I feel like I need to say, it wasn't a forced retirement, like it was just, you know, I, I knew it was time to retire, sometimes you know, you know, so I, right before I retired from coaching, I was, I was leading a, a group of young people through a season of rec league soccer, and this particular league that we were playing in was just kind of all about sportsmanship and goodwill, which are good things, right? Like we can agree on that. That's generally a good thing. But this league took it too far. <laughs> I noticed as we got several games into the season that the referee, who, by the way, is the person, right, who's supposed to uphold the rules and the law of the game, right? The referee didn't care at all about these white chalk lines that had been put around the soccer field. He didn't, didn't care about him at all. So what would happen is the ball would go out of bounds. And I don't know if you're familiar with soccer, but when the ball goes out of bounds, there's usually a stoppage of play. And one of the kids from the team who didn't kick the ball out of bounds goes and picks it up and throws it back in over their head to one of their teammates. That's what's supposed to happen when the ball goes over the line. But what kept happening over and over again is the ball would cross the line, and then all the, all, every single one of the kids on the field would run after the ball. They would also go out of bounds, and they would run through the little section of chair, you know, lawn chairs where the parents were sitting, and they would go past them, and they would go on to the next field where the same kind of thing was happening. And, they would, <laughs> and then until one kid would look up and say, wait a minute, there's, there's our goal over there. And they would all kind of like reorient, and they would, as a herd, kind of go back over to the field that they were supposed to be on. Now, I've done a little bit of refereeing in my life. Uh, I've got a son who's done some refereeing. You know, I've got like a lot of grace for that. You know, nobody's perfect. A missed call here and there, it's not a big deal. You know, it's made a call. It's not really not that big of a deal. It's rec league soccer. But there are lines on the ground for a reason. 
Like they, they have been put there intentionally. Somebody paid money for the chalk. Somebody took time to put it out there. The lines are there for a reason. So every once in a while, in the best like pastoral way I could, I would go in and talk to the referee. Just you know, just a night conversation. You know, like I could, I would end it by inviting them to church probably. But uh, I would say something like, "How are the kids going to learn the game of soccer if we don't uphold the well-marked boundaries on the field?" Right. I would ask that question every once in a while. (laughs) There are boundaries in our lives that sometimes we just keep blowing past. Like we knew they were there once, but we kind of, like we don't even notice them anymore. We just blow past these these boundaries over and over again. And if we don't look up and say, hey, wait a minute, that, that, my goal is over there. (laughs) The thing I'm aiming at is over in that direction. Then we're going to play our whole lives like on the wrong field and not even know it. We've been identifying some helpful boundaries for the last, last few weeks here at Providence, um, and we've been looking at how these boundaries kind of help us out in our lives and how God actually put them there for us so that we would have life and that we would actually experience freedom because of them. Today, I want to wrap up this series by asking this question, what does it mean to set boundaries with the people that you love the most, like your family and your you're really good friends. Like, what does it mean to have boundaries with them? It's a whole other challenge, right? It's another ball game. <laughs> One reason I think I get so worked up on the soccer field, and I still do, but I'm just not a coach anymore. But uh, one reason I think I get so worked up is because I love my kids so much. He's playing soccer, you know, right? Like, that's, I want that to be the reason. Like, like that's why I get so worked up, because there's so much love, and our lives are so tied together. And, and, and I want my kids who are playing soccer to, to learn the game and to love the game and to learn some things about life while they're playing the game. Like, all that can happen, and that's what I want for them. You, you would say something like this as well. Like, you'd say, I would, I would lay down my life for my kid. I would jump in front of a speeding car for my spouse. I would do anything for, for my, my good friend, right? We'd lay down our life. And Jesus says that um, there's no greater love than to lay down your life for somebody else. And having that heart is, is where God, God wants us to be in, in relationship. And we'll say something like, uh, you are everything to me. That person is everything to me. I want to say to you today that there can come a time when uh, we do too much. We actually do too much for the people that we love. We've been hearing this last couple of weeks that sometimes we're carrying, what someone's carrying around is a big boulder and there's no way they can carry it on their own. And so we need to come around and help them carry it. But sometimes the thing that you're carrying is just a load like a, like a backpack, as Pastor Jacob has talked about it, like a backpack. It's, it's light. It's actually yours to carry. Your feelings are in it, the things that you have to, to walk through. And, a, and, a, and if I take everybody else's load, then it's going to weigh me down and it's actually going to hurt the other person because they're not learning to deal and to, and to learn about their feelings. And sometimes the thing that you need to do for them is nothing. So even, yeah, like a family member or a good friend, like that's a hard thing to say. It doesn't even feel right. It's coming out of my mouth. But sometimes the best thing that you need to do for somebody is nothing. Because, uh, and we're just going to kind of jump right into it here, your relationship is not God. It is a gift from God. Your relationship is not God. Sometimes, sometimes we get confused, right? Sometimes we put our relationship as like the thing. It's the only thing in our lives, and we, it kind of it just like takes over. And so perspective on this really matters. Our relationships are a gift from God. It's understandable how it happens because we kind of get a lot of our identity from our, re, our key relationships with people, right? 
Like we're identified as the child of so-and-so or the parent of so-and-so or the neighbor of so-and-so. Like that, that's how we, we get our identity. And a lot of, a lot of that is, is formed around that. And sometimes we lose our core identity in the midst of those relationships and, and identities. We get lost in a relationship and sometimes we stop growing into God's will. So it matters. So it's one thing to say no to the neighbor kid who's coming over with the magazine subscriptions, right? Like, like we've, we've learned that sometimes that's a boundary you can draw, right? Or a nonprofit that calls you on the phone and they're looking for, for funds to raise. But sometimes it's hard to draw the same kind of boundaries with your family or your friends who are like family. It's difficult. And it's naturally difficult. So the reason that I'm preaching this uh, message to you today is not because Pastor Jacobs in Nicaragua, but he knew, as everybody else knows, that my family and my extended family is 100% free of drama. <laughs> 100, especially those who worship here at Providence Church or who watch online, like 100% <laughs> free of drama. There's, there'll be a book, come, a manual coming out. You should look for that, The Harmonious Family Life. <laughs> Like, obviously, I'm kidding. Like, we have our own stuff. Every, every family has its stuff. And so what's good news for me and good news for us today is that very early in the Bible, we get some pretty direct teaching about dealing with family. So I, I was actually excited to, to find that, and so we can learn together today. In Genesis chapter 2, the Bible describes the first family relationship, right? God made Adam and Eve. God made Eve out of Adam's side, it says in Genesis chapter 2. And, and this is the moment like, where there, this teaching came on. It said, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh, because they were made for each other. They were designed for each other. Now, if you're like paying attention to the story here, you might wonder to yourself, is this teaching out of place? It's talking about Adam and Eve and, uh, and a man leaving his father and mother. Well, Adam didn't have a biological father or mother, or they would have been Adam and Eve. <laughs> just like, I know, it was big, and it's going to take you a while, but just kind of sit with that one a little, a little bit. So the reason that this is actually in this part of the story is for us, right? To teach us something about relationships and, and how to have healthy boundaries, this one I think is big. You may have to loosen or let go of some relationships in order to embrace other relationships. It's hard stuff. But the word leaves in Genesis chapter 2, as in a man leaves his father and mother, actually um, is tied and connected to a word that means loosen or let go. Um, so there is, there is kind of the harshness of maybe a cutoff, but there's also this idea of, you, of maybe loosening the grip on a relationship. It doesn't necessarily mean cutting off your relationship with your parents. It, it, may, it may mean that for you, but it, not necessarily. However, there are some relationships where you would want to completely let go of, like a, like a previous romantic relationship, right? You got to let that go right? You get, you're moved on to something else. Or an authority figure who abused or misused power to speak lies into you. Let that relationship go. So we've got to let go or loosen uh, that, the grip so that we can grab a hold of the new thing that God is doing, this new thing in, in your life. Hear me on this. this. This can be really hard because 
you know, we, get our, we, we were formed by early relationships, both positively and negatively. Like they, they make us who we are in a big way. And then we bring all that into new relationships, right? Like it's a real thing. Like we bring all that, that past and that's just a reality for us. But there are times when we have to loosen or let go of some of those past relationships in order to move into the future that God has for us. I don't, some of you might have, might have known this, but Christian churches used to always be built facing Jerusalem. And you, you might hear like you walk out of the church and you're, you're facing Jerusalem. And you might think that that is connected to the past because like the church history comes out of, out of Jerusalem. And so we have all this, this story there. So you think we're walking out of the church and we're looking into the past. But the reason that they, they oriented the churches towards Jerusalem is so that when you walk out of the church, you're looking to the place where the Bible says Jesus will return and, and, and announce the kingdom of God. Like you're looking to the future, this hope that we have. That's actually where, why the churches are oriented towards Jerusalem. It's similar to our relationships in that if you are past-oriented, the grip of those former relationships will define your reality now and you won't be able to go anywhere. You won't be able to look into the future. Have, have you ever, don't raise your hand, have you ever felt stuck in a relationship? Ever felt like you, you can't uh, get, get past this relationship that you're looking at right now? We can feel trapped in, and when, we, when we don't lose the grip on our past, we feel trapped. Why is this important for us today? Because there are times when relationships with family and friends can absolutely consume us. You know, like they, they consume all of our time and our energy. They just like burn us up. And if you're consumed, you have nothing left for anyone else, like yourself or even God. Are there relationships that have you so consumed today that you can't even see the good thing that is right in front of you? Jesus was, was really good at loosening his grip on past relationships. It's, inter- it's interesting to me because we, we talk about kind of modeling our lives. As followers of Jesus, we model our lives after Jesus. And so in all these aspects of our lives, we want to be like him. But when it comes to relationships, I think we rarely model our relationships after Jesus. We wouldn't even think of it. But his ministry, uh, if, you, if you read about it, was, like, was all about going around, pointing to God, pointing out the kingdom of God to every single person that he came in contact with. Like that was his heart. And if that was it for him, that could easily consume him, right? That would eat him up when everybody is his responsibility. So what he did was he also drew a boundary around a close group of men and women that he really poured his life into. Most of his time was spent with them. He poured his life into them so that they could go out and change the world. His relationships were always in the context of what God was doing. So I guess what I'm saying here is that Jesus was somewhat of a relationship expert, we don't usually think of him that way. And in looking at these, a, a couple of examples of how he, how he lived this out, it's going to make Jesus look harsh. So hang with me for a minute. I want you to know that on the front end. There was this one time when Jesus was talking to a crowd of people, and he, would, he had been teaching them. He had been teaching them about the kingdom of God. He had been healing people who needed to be healed. And then his friends came up to him and tapped him on the shoulder and said, your mother and your brothers are out there, and they would like to, to speak with you. So here's what Jesus said to that. Who is my mother and who are my brothers? <laughs> Put yourself in the place of the mother. Like you're hearing your son say, who, are my, who is my mother? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mothers and brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister 
and mother. So the biological relationship there feels like it's been wounded. It feels like it's been, been hurt by Jesus' words. Was he denying that he had a mother? Was he denying that he had, had brothers to go talk to? No. I imagine that there was a season in his life, earlier in his life, when, whenever his mother came calling and called his name, he would drop whatever he was doing and come running to her. But in this season of his life, he was teaching and he was healing, and Jesus wasn't willing to risk the mission that he was about. He had just announced this, this mission that, he, that God had put him on, and he wasn't going to risk it. And so he put up boundaries that helped him stay focused. And in doing that, he actually made his family bigger. There was this other time a man who was invited to follow Jesus, and the man said to Jesus, well, okay, but first let me bury my father. And, and Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus sounds kind of harsh on this one again, right? Like, What's his understanding of family, family values? One thing that we don't know is whether or not this man's father was actually even dead or even sick. What the guy was really saying was, Jesus, I'm going to stick around until my father dies, however long that takes, so that I can receive my inheritance because that's my priority, and then I will follow you. And Jesus said, the mission is too important. The mission of the kingdom of God is too important for you to sit around and wait for a check to come in. So Jesus taught us that healthy boundaries and even your closest relationships can keep you focused on the mission. What's the mission? As we've been going through this series for the last couple of weeks, we've got some really helpful words on being able to say no. You guys have been amazing. You guys have been you guys have, some of you turned into no monsters, like you're like able to say no to a lot of things, like you really grabbed a hold of that, and it's amazing, and boundaries are being created everywhere. Wouldn't it be great if in the, in the, in the Bible it actually gave us like specific words directly to our lives and the things that we go through every single day that we're, where we're needing some boundaries, like if it said, turn off your phone at 10 o'clock every night, or if it said, just check your email twice a day at these prescribed times. Or save time on the weekend, like segment that off. And that's when you're going to spend time with your family and your, and your friends and your neighbors. But the Bible doesn't get that specific. But we've been learning some principles over the last few weeks that, that can actually directly tie to our lives. For instance, um, pull out your cell phone real quick, if you would. There's a time where I would have said, if you brought your phone with you today, but... So go ahead, yeah, I mean, seriously, like, permission. I got in trouble on Thursday night because somebody got a phone call right when they pulled their phone out, but... Um, <laughs> pull, your, pull your phone out, go to your home screen, and some of you are going to find on top of your apps, like a little red circle or something with a, with a number on top of, floating on top of your app, right? How many have that on your, on your home screen? You're, you're seeing that right now? All right, so that has a number in it. Uh, one time I was on a, on a trip with a, a colleague, and she, I pulled up my phone, and she saw that I had a really large number on top of my email um, icon there. And um, it was a little embarrassing. Anybody have like triple digits? Anybody seeing triple digits? Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. <laughs> triple, yeah. So before those things came on your phone, they probably came across as like a banner or a ding or something, right? And what are those things called? Notifications. You got a notification or thousands of notifications, right? Like and what that means then is somebody is trying to notify you. Somebody's trying to get a hold of you. Somebody's trying to, to reach you, right? 
those, that's what notifications are. Like, they're, like for instance, uh, Red Robin has two for one hamburgers today. I don't, I don't know if that's actually true. Don't go in and <laughs> say that. But sometimes, uh, you know, you'll get, get these things com- coming across. All, like your sister just posted on Facebook, you know, or Congress passed a bill. It's, yeah, it could happen. Uh, it's it's going gonna, it's gonna to rain, it's gonna rain tomorrow. Like, all these things are popping up on your phone, right? And you're getting all these notifications like you needed to know it right then at that very moment, and they're coming across all of the time. It turns out, for me, this is, this is just me, I might need to loosen my relationship with Red Robin. Okay, this is like confessional time. I might need to loosen my relationship. I like Red Robin, but they email me all the time, like constantly. It's like all, every time I look down, there's, there's something from Red Robin. I might need to loosen that relation. I might need to loosen a relationship with like 24-hour news and just kind of set a time, like set a segment of time. Like this is, if I'm going to do that, this is what I'm going to do it. I'm going to check in on that. That same technology that lets all these other people get right into your world at any time is available to your family and your close friends. Now, in my family, I only get messages that are uplifting and full of hope, you know? But I don't know about yours. You might get some different messages in your family. So so practically, there's actually something I could do. I can take my phone and I can go into settings and I can turn notifications off. I like control all that. It doesn't control. I actually can control all that and decide when I'm going to check my email, right? Isn't that amazing? It's, It's available to us. I've been taking a class and most of the class is about online um, communication, you know, that where everything happens online. And so I was getting an email every time somebody posted a comment to that. And my classmates, are, they're very eager. And so I was getting all these emails. And every time I got one of these emails, I was like, I'm not, I didn't post in that moment. So somebody else, so it made me constantly go to that, right? Like it, it, it took me away from what I was doing. And I went to that. And then after doing that for a few days, I realized I can turn that off. <laughs> I don't get those emails anymore. I choose a segment of time when I'm going to go in and engage with the, with the stuff in the class, and it doesn't control me anymore. I think this might be true for you. On a different level, we have these things that come up like from seven days ago or from 15 years ago, these little notifications that pop up in our heart, and whatever we're doing, we go straight to that, right? And the reason that they're able to pop up there is because we haven't set any boundaries. We didn't turn the notifications off. They just keep popping up over and and over again. Some of us have have done some work even in the last few weeks to create some boundaries, but there's still those moments when we're like seven-year-old soccer players just like blowing past the the line, uh, waiting for a whistle to blow. Well, this is that moment. (laughs) Jesus is blowing a whistle saying, it is okay and in fact good for you to set boundaries in your life so that you can have, have life. Jesus is blowing that whistle. You you do not have to let your past relationships rule your present. So to do this, it might require some things from you. For Jesus, it it required naming the broken or unhealthy relationship in his life. Jesus did this one time. Seriously, with a friend, he he drew a boundary. (laughs) You know, he, he had spent several years with this guy named Judas being a follower of his, was with him all the time, heard all the, the things, uh, saw all the healings. He was present for all of that stuff. Jesus knew that towards the end of his life, Judas was about to betray him. He, Jesus knew that, yet they were sitting at a table together, the Last Supper, we call it, in, in an upper room. And 
he was sitting there. Have you ever been, like, you've ever had some tension with a friend or know that they've hurt you, but they don't know that you know, and you're sitting at a table together, and you're trying to act like it's okay and act like it's normal? Well, Jesus, in this moment, drew a boundary with his friend who had hurt him. He said this at the meal. He said, very truly, I tell you, one of you, looking around the whole room, is going to betray me. And all of his disciples were turning to each other saying, surely it's not me. It couldn't be me. And one person in the room besides Jesus knew who it was, and it was Judas. So Jesus turned to Judas and said, what you're about to do, do quickly. And Judas left. Jesus, with these words, drew a boundary. He knew his friend Judas. He knew his heart. He knew the brokenness in there. And he knew that Judas was going to do what he was going to do. And so he sent him out. He said, I'm not going to have my last meal with you. This is a boundary I'm going to draw. I'm going to be with my, my friends who love me and are with me in this. So he drew a boundary and Judas was on his way out. Sometimes we have to do that too. Sometimes we have to name the broken relationship like Jesus did with, with his friend Judas. And it's not a fun thing to do. I can't imagine that was fun for, a fun moment for Jesus. But it can lead to healing and freedom, which it did for Jesus and it does for us. So this morning, as we wrap up this series, I just want to kind of pray through some of this with you. So as we do that, I want to invite you to, to hold in your heart a broken or hurt, hurting relationship. Just kind of hold, hold that. Is there, a, is there an unhealthy relationship in your life that you just kind of are, have been carrying around with you? And it's been something that's actually been drawing all of your energy, all of your attention. I want you to hold that in your heart uh, right now as, as we go to God in prayer. Would you pray with me? God, you are a God who invites us into freedom and wholeness and into life. And you know what it's like for us to live, to live uh, relationships, and it's, it's complicated, and it's messy work, but it's really good work, and it's a gift to us. God, there are some of us who, in our hearts right now, have been, have been gripping tightly to a, a relationship from the past that, that actually has a grip on us. So God, in this moment, we uh, we, we just loosen our grip on that. We, we claim that we, we let go of some of that so that we can have what you have for us in life, uh, healthy relationships that bring us joy and bring us life, even though they're hard. They keep us on mission, what you've designed us for. Some of us need to completely let go of something, of, of some relationship that has, has hurt us. And in this moment, we let it go, God. We, we release that to you. And as we have less tension in, in our hands from all those relationships we've been holding on to, God, we are now able to fully cling to Jesus. It's a relationship we won't let go of. We won't loosen the grip on him because you have not loosened your grip on us. You come after us and you pursue us over and over again. You want our hearts and you keep coming. You do not let go of us. We won't let go of you. God, as we come to a table of, of communion, which reminds us of that meal where Jesus drew a boundary with his friend Judas, we come with open hearts and open hands ready to cling to you as we hold bread, which represents your body as we dip it into juice, which represents your blood. 
We pray somehow that your Holy Spirit would come be present with us and make this bread and juice be for us the body and blood of Christ so that we could be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. In Jesus' name.